0: Dear friends, let's bow our heads before I begin. Let us pray. Pray for me, pray for yourself, pray for the Spirit to come. Dear Lord, we come to you not to hear the words of a man, but to sit at the feet of Christ Jesus and to hear from his Apostle Lord, but more importantly to hear to the power of the Holy Spirit that which comes from God, that we might know the mind of God that which is revealed to us may be truth unto us, that we might build our life upon it and not be shaken. So may the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, friends, I draw your attention if you are new to the service or you're a guest or a visitor visiting us. We actually have a sermon outline, a bulletin uh, in the middle of our bulletin with a, kind of like a fill in the blanks. Uh, so in case you kind of stray or uh, having meetings in your mind, uh, you can at least follow where this is right now. Last week, we uh, had uh, Brother Chu Kaming talk about a passage from 1 Timothy, and this week we're going on into 2 Timothy. But let me frame this question uh, for you to consider. If you've had an encounter with an awesome power, a God who had spoken to you and said to you, Why do you persecute me, the church? And now you have been given this revelation himself from jesus christ and being told that you are the gospel to the gentiles and yet everywhere you preach people are slowly leaving the faith one by one as a result of persecution to the point that you are now almost deserted and in a prison what do you do in order to ensure that this message that has been given to you continues to be spread forth and continues to bring salvation to others. We kind of need to have that in mind because when we read First and Second Timothy, it is a letter that is specifically written to Timothy, with this background uh, going on. Peter has been uh, sorry. Paul has been commissioned to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But everywhere he goes, he's met with resistance in a lot of synagogues and not only that, the Roman uh, authorities as well as the Jewish synagogues and the people of the city uh, tend to make it hard to persecute not only him but those who believe. And so he charges uh, his, one of his spiritual children, uh, Timothy, and in chapter 1 uh, of 2 uh, Timothy, he says to him, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the Spirit of God gives us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, His prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And so this is the opening remarks that Paul gives to Timothy. Suffer with me for the sake of the gospel and do not be ashamed of it. Fan into flame this gift. Uh, He doesn't exactly uh, uh, define what this gift is, but this gift was put into him by the laying on of hands. Uh, Some would argue it would be the gift of the Holy Spirit put into him or the word that has been implanted in him, That is to go forth and do this now he makes this appeal uh, to timothy one for loyalty towards him and to the gospel of christ jesus and then he repeats this appeal but both of these appeals really deal with this uh, with this issue of transmitting and carrying on the truth of the gospel of the salvation of christ jesus uh, going forward and so we have this issue about truth. Does truth divide or does truth unite? Uh, Not long ago in the uh, Methodist uh, General Conference in the US, they met together uh, to deal with this issue about uh, LBGTQ and where the church position was. And I recall that one of the delegates, uh, if I'm not mistaken, coming from Africa, made a quote Uh, he made this quote which said, It is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. It is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. Now, it was a short paraphrase, one sentence of a larger quote that came from Adrian Rogers. Uh, Adrian Rogers was three times uh, the Southern Baptist Convention president Uh, recently deceased in 2005 I'd like to read that quote now you may or may not agree with him but it's worth thinking so this is the full quote it is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error it is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than falsehood that comforts and then kills let me tell you something friend it is not love it is not friendship if we fail to declare the whole counsel of god it is better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie it is impossible to find anyone in the bible who has who was a power for god who did not have enemies and was not hated it is better to stand alone with the truth than to be wrong with a multitude It is better to ultimately succeed with the truth than to temporarily succeed with a lie. There is only one gospel, and Paul said, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. This is taken uh, a quote from Adrian Rogers uh, in the Berean Call of December 1996 and so paul is in a way transmitting these truths that which he has heard in the presence of many witnesses uh, transmit to others so let's begin examining this text please keep your bibles open Uh, he begins with this statement in chapter 2 verse 1 you then my son be strong in the grace that is in christ jesus be strong in the grace that is in christ jesus now it is one thing to tell a weak person who cannot lift up a hundred kilos to say be strong Uh, what's the point of telling him to be strong unless you're telling him to train unless he has the power to be strong in a grace or a power that is able uh, to carry it out so it's not in his own strength he's not being told be strong in your own strength be strong in the grace that is in christ jesus and this grace in christ jesus is freely given freely received so when we tell others be strong we need to consider what exactly are we asking them to be strong in in this particular case paul is asking timothy to be strong in the grace that is in christ jesus and then pass on the teachings or the things that you have heard me say now i'd like to put forth to you that these are teachings but not only teachings but truth that paul has received from god uh, he says pass it on to reliable people and make sure that they are qualified to teach others pass on these teachings to reliable people qualified to teach others now Uh, i've always used to wonder is this a message that is specifically for paul to timothy only for timothy as a worker apostle or a person of god but i've realized that in consultancy in leadership development in wanting to pass on a legacy uh, this is also an example of how to pass on something that will last not just a hundred years but so far has lasted all these two thousand years Uh, since christ has come so friends if you are wondering as a parent as a grandparent or as someone who is trying to transmit a knowledge a skill a truth unto others you pass on these teachings truths to reliable people and part of our job in uh, trying to transmit the gospel to others is finding what is the truth who do we pass it on to and make sure that they qualify to teach it to others that they know how to transmit it because there's a difference between knowing it for yourself as opposed to the ability to communicate it to another. Now, he goes on to give this uh, appeal uh, in verse 3 to 7. Let me just read that out. Verse 3 says, Join, me, join with me in suffering like a good soldier I just want to unpack that join with me in suffering who's this me join me Paul and Paul in a way is a spiritual father to Timothy but one of the things I've taken away in terms of servanthood or leadership here is this join with me in suffering I came through a line in the marketplace where we always considered that the bosses would be out playing in the golf course or flying onto their holidays in the Caribbean, while the rest of us were slogging away in the office at uh, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. And to some extent, this still happens. You know, you reach the cushy life where your executive board director, you come in maybe for uh, one day in a week, and then the rest of the grunt work is being done by the rest of the people. And you stand on a pile of bones from which you have climbed up to the source but paul gives a different model he says join with me in suffering which indicates paul is already suffering for this gospel we've heard it commonly being made in different ways he says uh, if you're going to be a leader walk the talk now if you're going to lead Uh, You need to be the one leading, doing the things that you want others to follow you. And we understand from the imagery of being a shepherd, especially a Middle Eastern shepherd, that the shepherd walks in front and the sheep follow. It's not a case where the shepherd sits from behind and just orders the sheep, Oi, go, there. And I will just sit in the comfort of my wheelchair and say this is where you ought to go. So, Paul is leading. He's showing to Timothy, this is what I have been going through, and you are called to follow in these footsteps. I've had numerous leaders and worship leaders say the same thing. You cannot take people to places where you yourself have never gone to. And so, we are called to walk ahead and go through this. So, one of the things maybe I would like to ask you to consider is how do you lead? Do you lead by example? Do you lead by walking in front and showing them what you are suffering? I am also willing to suffer through together with you. Failing which, why are we suffering if the only suffering is yours and I profit from your suffering? Now that goes on again. Verse 3 continues. And he gives three uh, metaphors or three images, and he tells Paul to dwell upon it, reflect on it. The first picture that he gives is to be strong like a good soldier of Christ Jesus who follows his commands, or rather, uh, who listens to the one who has enlisted him, the commander. Now, uh, I'd like you to think a little bit about this. Paul has in a way been a spiritual father to Timothy. But he's also highlighting to him that as a soldier of Christ, Christ is the one who has called you, enlisted you. He's your commander. And like a good soldier, uh, you want to dwell upon that. What defines a good soldier? Uh, Recently in reading, well, not so recent, maybe a couple of years back when I was reading um, about... uh, the u.s army uh, they send them off to the academy and uh, one of the most elite academies defines a good soldier as one who is willing to lay his life down for god and country now, how many of us fall in that same category the willingness to lay your life down in order uh, in, in service to the country so that soldier is training his whole life that when the moment comes when he actually has to put his life on the line in order to save for the sake of his country or for the sake of others you know they're willing to throw themselves onto a grenade they're willing to go into the line of fire all because their commander the one that enlisted them and the people whom they love says I need you to do this in order that many would be saved through your actions so to be strong like a soldier of christ jesus is to put you in the way of harm at times for the sake of the one who has called you he continues to give this uh, impression like a victorious athlete who plays by the rules Now i don't know how many of you uh, most of you in your era would recognize uh, that particular picture some of our younger ones or maybe some of our very old older folks may not recognize that do you all know who that person is yeah ben johnson in the 1988 seoul olympics uh, he won that particular competition uh, that hundred meter race world record 9.79 but later on was stripped of his title because he was uh, convicted of doping Uh, not only at that time but even later on after he came back to the sport and so we are called to be victorious uh, a victorious athlete who plays by the rules now in the uh, roman times in the in the period or when paul is speaking to uh, timothy Uh, the Epicurean games or or Isthmian games these games were the precursors towards the Olympic games were common, wrestling, running, marathon, uh, feats of strength but a victorious athlete is one who spends his whole time training in order to win the victor's crown and that winning was based on the ability to win without cheating But not only that, for the Christian, in particular for Paul to Timothy, are you living this life and doing what you're supposed to, run this race according to the rules? Who defines these rules? According to the rules that Christ Jesus has defined for us. In a way, when you reflect on it, at least for me, my reflection is no shortcuts, no bypassing the lanes, no cutting across, no beating, punching, kicking, scratching, don't do this according to how you would want to win this race. So what kind of race are we running? And whose rules are we following? Is it the rules that Christ has set for us? And are you totally committed and training yourself to run this race well? There's an intentionality of it. I spent time uh, in the past actually watching athletes train. It was quite Staggering the number of times they would go running up and down. Uh, In Kampung Pandan Sports Complex, we had all these people. Uh, For a period of time, Mumtas was one of the people who kept running. And they would run, go back, pick themselves up, and run. At times, I actually saw them vomiting because they were so tired, they were so exhausted, and they were pushing themselves. And they said, I have to push myself because if I'm not going to push myself, it's very difficult to improve my personal best. That is the focus of an athlete. Finally, the third one, be strong like a hardworking farmer who receives a share of the crop. And one of the things I take away from this is that a farmer works uh, not with an immediacy of result. He works on the basis of a promised future. But we tend to work on the basis of immediate, next day kind of thing. Uh, Don't believe me, ask most people who are taking exams. The day before the exam, they're mugging like crazy, hoping that next day they will score. But every analogy that's given in the Bible is always of the farmer who plants in season, waiting for the moment and tending to the crop until the time of harvest is ready before they finally reap that harvest and has a share of the crop. Now, a little bit of background. When you receive receive the share of the crop, uh, it means that we are not owners of the field. We're not owners of the field. The owner of the field basically owns the entire crop. But people who work as part of uh, renting that land, they get a portion of it as their pay, as a share. So Paul is, in a way, telling Timothy... The Lord is the Lord of the harvest, but we who work in this field, in the time when the harvest is finally to be collected, in the hope that it will bear fruit, will one day share in that crop. But here's the thing. No farmer comes and tells you that it is because of my great effort and strength that this crop is as it is. Because we know that man does what only man can do, but only God brings out the sun, brings the rain, and causes the growth. And so, in this sense, we are hard-working farmers who are working with God in the field that He has placed us until the time comes for the harvest in which we share in. Now, Paul reminds Timothy in verse 7 reflect on what i am saying for the lord will give you insight into all of this he just gives you the image and the metaphor but he tells timothy go and think about this keep chewing on it and i wonder how many of us when we read scriptures we're constantly chewing on it Hmm. farmer soldier what does that look like what does that feel like athlete you know am i in that mold? keep chewing on that and wondering are we fitting into that mold all three of those moles talk about an intentional goal all three of them talk about a person being hard at work committing his entire body soul will strength towards achieving that goal and all of them working towards the eventuality of a final victory and reward honor uh, victor's crown and a share of the crop how then are we competing in this life are we taking shortcuts and cheating in the game or the race that we're called to are we like soldiers who when confronted with danger will be cowering behind a bunker refusing to go out and unable to commit our lives to this or are we like that farmer who is more interested in just sitting by, playing music, and not planting in the season when the season is right, expecting to gain a reward but not putting in the work. Where are you in this particular picture? And so Paul again reminds Timothy, this is what it means to be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds him to suffer for what is true. To suffer for what is true let me read verse 8 to 13 remember jesus christ raised from the dead descended from david this is my gospel he just affirms that jesus christ is raised from the dead in other words he suffered death and was raised up in resurrection descended from david a man of god now this is one instance where uh Paul actually uses the term Jesus Christ, his humanity and his divinity, reminding Paul and uh, reminding Timothy of the fact that although he is human and he is frail, he also has the Spirit of God with him in the same way that Christ is also human and divine. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's Word is not chained. So Paul affirms, although he is chained in this moment in Rome, writing this letter to uh, Timothy, who's likely in the Lycos or Lyre region uh, in near the Ephesian church, that although he is in chains physically, the gospel nonetheless is going forth. And we have all these letters that are written in prison that still sets captives free. And he's suffering for what is true therefore i endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in christ jesus with eternal glory for the gospel that is salvation in christ jesus with eternal glory now we've always heard this term gospel salvation gospel salvation in christ jesus but paul kind of reminds timothy eternal glory victor's crown share of the crop honor in being a soldier of christ this great prize and reward is what you are to be strong for i have a friend who runs marathons uh, and sometimes uh, she now participates in uh, those hundred kilometer races Uh, She has a friend who does the 200-kilometer race. And they say, why are you doing this for? It's for the honour of being able to say, I have completed this race. But it's also to have a body that is fit and strong. We, on the other hand, are fighting for an eternal glory, a far greater prize than just a healthy body for this particular life. Are we committed in being strong in that particular manner? This is a trustworthy saying that Paul reminds him. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. It's an assurance to me because even at times when I feel faithless, Christ doesn't change. He is, in a way, constant, and his nature is to forgive. And he is faithful in calling me. I'd like to take you and challenge you to go back and think about this and dwell upon these words. Memorize it if you want to. A trustworthy saying if we died with him, in other words, be willing to suffer and die with Christ, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. To endure suffering now is to enjoy the crown of victory in reigning with him for eternal glory you disown him you also disown us and you recall uh, in the past few weeks when i talk about revelations towards the end there is this challenge are you going to be like the rest of the world that when challenged when put in the line of fire you're going to say no i don't really want to take this bullet i will not confess christ as lord Or would you be willing to face death and deal with this? If we are faithless, he remains faithful. If we disown him, he will also disown him. And Paul is not talking anything new. This is what Paul was saying of Jesus when Jesus said, if you you deny me before others, I too will also deny you uh, before the kingdom. It's a tough one to swallow. It is a most bitter truth. But the bitterest of truth is still sweeter than the sweetest lie. The most bitter of truths is still sweeter than the sweetest lie. Then comes the second portion. One, be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he he gives you this modifiers. What does being strong in the grace of Jesus Christ mean? Uh, And then he goes and says, be an approved workman. So he reminds uh, he calls uh timothy remind god's people of these things and I, again i bracket these as truths what are these things it's not just about this uh, trustworthy saying but all these things that paul has entrusted to timothy in the presence of all these witnesses all these letters and all these things that they have taught and warn them against quarreling about words he says that they are valueless and empty uh, valueless and brings to ruin let me just uh, find that and read that out and expound on that keep reminding God's people verse 14 of these things warn them before God against quarrelling about words it is of no value and only ruins those who listen do your best to present yourself as an approved uh, person of God Uh, verse 15 do your best to present yourself to god as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth now if this is a call to timothy it's also in a way a call to us as parents with spiritual children under us we are called to be approved of god what does that approval look like a worker but not just a particular worker, a worker who is not ashamed of what he's doing. In other words, he's not embarrassed by his failure. Can you imagine going to a mechanic, and you ask the mechanic, I've got a problem with my car. And the mechanic just tries to make a few guesses. He says, I think you, you should have a battery here. He's not sure. And he, he gets the wires crossed, short circuits the car, and makes things worse. How much more are we uh, people who are called to be workers of the Word of God who do not know how to handle the Word of God and we give people wrong teaching and we're pointed out to be wrong. One who correctly handles the truth. Now, this word approved of God in the in the greek actually is this word called dokimos dokimos has two meanings one is as we see it approval of god you know seal of approval but it also had a reference to uh, particularly metals that maintain its structure in heat in fire metals that maintains its structure in a fire in other words it's been refined it has no uh, it has no impurities and it maintains its structure so one that is approved of god is one who maintains his structural integrity in a fire in other words when you test him the truth doesn't change when you test him his character remains the same one who is approved of god who is a worker who is not ashamed of what he is saying and is correctly handling the word of truth. And this correctly handling the word of truth is one where uh, his teaching, his exegesis of the word is straightforward. It's not putta blade to make it say something that it's not saying. Okay. That when he teaches, people hear it and knows that he's speaking with authority. And then he says, avoid godless chatter, empty talk it leads to things getting worse. Now, let me read this verse 16 to 18. Uh, My children also was asking, what does this mean? Uh, Verse 16, Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. And among them, Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth, they have said, resurrection has already taken place. We call that uh, an over eschatology which means the things that are to come they say has already arrived okay so they say the power of god is already here i can heal all things and i've already resurrected so avoid godless chatter it leads to things getting worse and in the picture that that paul uses he uses the term gangrene okay so some of you your children might ask you what is gangrene i'm not a doctor ask our doctors you know where they are But someone has briefly described gangrene is an inflammation of the flesh commonly caused by an infection, uh, particularly commonly found in uh, people with diabetes or people who have had bacterial infection that gets worse, but it inflames. And so one of the commentators says gangrene seems to make something grow because it looks like a cancer, but that growth results in a corruption that eventually can kill. False empty talk empty chatter things that are not based on scripture may have the tendency to increase the size of your congregation because they like to hear what you're saying but will eventually destroy them because they are all built on lies paul goes on to say god knows his own they turn from wickedness for special purposes they are made holy useful and prepared to do any good work so another indicative uh, characteristic or modifier of what it is what it is to be a person who is approved of god is one who has been set aside by god made holy is useful for god's purpose in other words he's not utterly hopeless uh, and also prepared to do any good work now I would like to distinguish this from our understanding of what it means to be useful. Many people define useful as you are smart, you are intelligent, you know what to do. But no, a useful person is one whom God is able to use and is prepared to surrender himself towards God's use. You're not useful if you're not surrendered. And for that reason, I have seen people who have been in our autistic society, in our uh, disabled community who, although many would say they are hopeless in the sense that they cannot do anything, and yet they have been very useful in bringing the gospel of God and reminding people how much God loves them because they remind others that God loves them too and that they are most precious in God's eyes. So it's that kind of a usefulness, not in terms of our function and our ability, but in the usefulness. By god and he can use the most meanest of things in order to do his will but paul ends his particular teaching in in chapter 2 with this uh, knowing the truth and escaping uh, the devil's trap escaping the devil's trap let me read that out uh, verse 14 to 26 Uh, verse 22 flee from the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness faith love and peace along with those who call on the lord out of a pure heart don't have anything to do with foolish stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the lord's servant and the lord's servant must not be quarrelsome must be kind to everyone able to teach not resentful opponents must be gently instructed in the hope That God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses, escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now, I've just summarized that into two. Those who are kind, gentle, not quarrelsome, not resentful, and patient, in a way, are those who really know the truth of God. They are being transformed into that likeness. But those who are trapped in the devil's trap they are quarrelsome they are argumentative they produce quarrels uh, they are not kind they are unable to teach and they are very very resentful it is two these two particular portions here uh, which Paul summarizes at the end uh, bring them to repentance to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to the senses and escape the trap of the devil So those who are trapped of the devil end up being in that particular situation resentful filled with bitterness quarrelsome argumentative prone to corruption and gangrene but those who are truly of the truth who know the truth are being transformed in this particular direction now all that essentially with two points being strong in the grace that is in christ jesus not in our own strength, but being strong in being a workman approved of God. Paul doesn't leave Timothy hanging as to what being strong means in the grace of the Lord, uh, what it means to be an approved workman, one who knows how to discern the truth. And I found of late uh, recently in many invitations to speak in many places, people like to contend and argue So much so that they begin to denigrate and cut down other people who hold differing views. You'll find them commonly saying you're stupid, you're ill-informed, you are basically twisted and evil. There is a difference between a person making an attestation of truth. I believe this, you believe this. Let us try and convince each other but not label each other for the reasons that you refuse to accept these things. And likewise, Jesus never forced anyone. Paul likewise never forced anyone. State your true statement, even if people disagree with you, but I will not forcefully make you accept my argument as the only right argument, and to not be resentful about this. So if you want to be an approved workman, discern the truth rightly, present it clearly. Be kind, be gentle, be patient. Don't resent them and train yourself how to teach. I have counsel many children who have told me that quite often, sometimes they are put off by faith because their parents force it on them, were unable to teach. And when their children ask them, what does this mean? Their parents said, don't know. A common answer, they say, ask pastor. <laughs> but you realize here, Paul says, entrust trust this task, to those who are liable to teach. So it's not just my task alone, it's the task of every parent who is his head of his household. So brothers and sisters, mothers, fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, how will you train yourself to handle the truth? How will you seek to set off the devil's trap so that your children, your children's children and the community that we are called to will handle the truth escape these traps and follow Christ in the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ to eternal glory i pray that you will dwell on this more let us pray dear lord i pray that your truth and your truth alone would rest in our hearts that he would search us he would try us he would know us lord in our frailty in our inability lord we ask for the transforming work of the holy spirit upon us that we would be an approved worker lord i pray especially for my brothers and sisters who struggle with reading the scripture and studying it and being able to discern truth lord that you would inspire in them a passion and a love for your word and i pray lord for an impartation of the holy spirit upon them that he who inspired scriptures from the beginning of time he who knows the mind of christ and the mind of god that he alone would be the one that places all wisdom all truth that we might be approved workmen lord who work hard for the lord committing this to you, O Lord, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.